The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio here on WWDB AM 860 in Greater Philadelphia. And we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And again, you can reach us at uh, Boomer Generation Radio at Gmail or like us on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. We will be back with our first segment guest, Mark Davis from CARI, the Center for Advocacy for Rights and Interest of the Elderly, which is hard to get on the shirt. But anyway, uh, we'll be doing that right after this message from our very, very good friends down the street at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approach to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Richard Address, uh, coming to you on Boomer Generation Radio from WWDB AM 860 here in Philadelphia, screaming, streaming live, and screaming live on WWDBAM.com. And, uh, happy voting day. It's primary day here in Pennsylvania, so everybody is, you know, going crazy, I hope, you know, voting early and probably voting often, maybe. Anyway, we're here with Mark Davis from Cary. Uh, Mark is the long-term care ombudsman for CARI, which is the Center for Adv- Advocacy for the Rights and Interests of the Elderly. It is really challenging yeah, to say that, really. Yeah, we just say, say CARI. CARI. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome. This is uh, – CARI's been uh, here before, uh, and we want to talk a little bit about what this ombudsman program is. Very, very important program. But first, uh, Mark, a welcome. Thank welcome you. to Boomer Generation Radio. And uh, tell me what – first of all, what is CARI? What does it do? Well, first, thank you for uh, having me here and giving me the chance to talk about Carrie and our work. We really appreciate it. Um, the Center for Advocacy for Rights and Interests of the Elderly, Carrie, uh, is a Philadelphia-based nonprofit. We've been around, I think, since around 1977. And our mission is to improve the quality of life for uh, the elderly, which is an, a broad mission. But I think the unique thing about Carrie is how we do that. So, you know, there's a lot of service providers who provide home care or Meals on Wheels or other types of things. The service that Carrie provides is, is advocacy. Um, we try to educate people to how to choose services. We help them resolve problems with the services they have. Um, and if they have complaints or things like that, particularly in, in the program I work in, um, we assist them and try to resolve those problems. So we're not providing the service, but I think we're helping people choose well and make the services work better for them. Um, we have a, a number of different programs that we do. Um, we do a lot of education, uh, abuse prevention training, ethics training for providers. Um, I think educating people is, is a big part of what we do in, in terms of understanding the issues. Um, we have our sort of signature program is something called the Carry Line, which is a free telephone, telephone and online consultation resource. Anybody can call the carry line 
It's not uh, – some of our programs are Philadelphia-based. The carry line is fairly regional and, and national in some ways now because of the Internet. Um, we have a victim assistance program that uh, elder victims of crime, they do everything up to and including going to court with the crime victim because the criminal justice center can be a daunting place for, for seniors. Um, but we also educate them about restitution programs, you know, someone breaks into your house, how to get – a locksmith to come and fix it. Um, we have a transportation advocate that helps uh, older people if they have problems with uh, paratransit. We have a Medicare uh, and Medicaid education program teaching people to spot, uh, to read their bills, to understand what they're reading when they get their statement of benefits. Uh, it's funded primarily to teach seniors to root out fraud and right. to report it. And then the program I work for is uh, called the Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program. It's a state and federally funded advocacy program. Um, every state, every county, no matter where you might be listening to this, you have an, a free ombudsman service available to you. And it's really a, a service directed toward um, – initially it was just people who lived in nursing homes, but it's really been expanded beyond – just nursing home care to assisted living, to personal care homes, and even to some community-based programs. Um, and it's really uh, a service that allows people to uh, have an advocate if there's a complaint about their services, if they feel like their rights are being violated. Uh, we try to educate consumers and their families about, you know, what to look for when they're choosing services. Um, so that's kind of the so what's this? Oh, let's go scope back. Scope of services. Yes. What, what, let, let's make sure everybody uh, we we publicize the carry line. What is the carry line? The carry line is uh, really as basic as it gets. It's an information hotline. Uh, we they handle problems. We handle problems. Uh, questions about uh, you know how to choose your Medicare Part D provider. Uh, problems with you know your your home care services that you know how do you handle it when the person's not showing up. Uh, how to navigate the local office on aging, um, which are the really basic service providers in every county, but people may not know which part of that agency to call, and we kind of uh, give them a roadmap. Okay, um, what's it's really all number? soup to nuts. What's the phone number? The co- phone number for the carry line is 215-545-5728. And the other thing I really want to emphasize about the carry line, and really carry in general, if you call – any program, you're going to get a person. Um, you don't go into a voicemail. Um, you don't go into a phone tree. Uh, we understand how challenging and intimidating that can be for a lot of seniors. Anybody. Um, anybody. anybody, really, right? Yeah. Um, your and call also is when very you're important call, to right, us, except and, we don't want to add to And your to call you. is very important <laughs> to us because at the point at which people are calling us, you know, they don't want to wait. They've pro- Or they may have already called five other places. Right. And so we feel it's really imperative that um, they get to talk to a person. We may not resolve their problem right that minute, but we're going to let them know how we get started, um, how we're going to get started, and, and what direction we're going to. Is there a website associated if somebody who is computer literate? Yeah. What, what's the website? Uh, Carrie is www.carrie.org. And that's C-A-R-I-E dot O-R-G. And we also, uh, you can submit questions or problems to the to the carry line online we have something called the carry online so if you're in another state you want to email something you have a question um some of the questions if they involve federal law 
um, then they're not state specific and, and you, you know, we can assist you. Um, or if you're somewhere else in Pennsylvania, um, the ombudsman program and our victims assistance program only serve Philadelphia residents, but our other programs are not limited that way. And I know, um, we're, 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 this is a Tuesday, uh, the 26th of April, and I know you just had uh, a major, um, fundraiser and program that's got written up in, in Monday's Inquirer, Philadelphia Inquirer, dealing with, I think it was aspects of elder abuse, correct? Which correct. is a large part of, you just mentioned it, but that's part of the CARI program. It is. Um, we're not an abuse. Per, uh, we do not investigate elder abuse. That is in Philadelphia is the purview of the Philadelphia Corporation for Aging. What we try to do um, and the article you, you're referring to is our fundraiser. We honored uh, Philip Marshall, who, because of uh, the problems that happened in his family with his grandmother, Brooke Astor, has become a huge advocate, particularly in educating people about financial exploitation and the financial scams and, and things that happen to seniors who give others power of attorney and, and things like that. Um, but we do um, field questions about that um, and trying to alert people and educate them. We do a lot of community education for seniors about how to be mindful of, you know, people calling you up and saying, you know, Grandma, this is me. I'm stuck somewhere. Wire me money. Right. Anything that asks for your social security number, things like that. There's so many uh, ways that people are trying to uh, take advantage of, of seniors. Um, Do you think that, that the baby boom generation who, who, who've watched their own parents deal with some of this, that our parents' generation were the first ones really to try to get on computers and all this other stuff? And Do you think the baby boom generation is a little bit hipper? Understanding the possibility of these scams because a lot of them, you know, deal with scamming on their own home computers as well. There's a greater awareness now that, especially with so much media hype about, you know, hacking and computer and cybersecurity. I, I would hope so. I mean, it is certainly the issue is uh, there's much more education and resource out there. The Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, which is a new agent, fairly new agency in Washington, is publishing all kinds of great materials. But one of the challenges is no matter how savvy you are, um, the the fact of the matter is for all of us, when we hit a certain age, our executive, what they call executive functioning, um, to whatever degree, can become impaired. And that's why seniors um, – and it's not a matter of being, you know, a serious dementia. It doesn't even have to get that bad. But people's ability to um, – you know, make judgments or discern when someone's being, you know, should be suspicious of them or truthful or whatever, uh, you know, always uh, it's going to decline a little. So you can be as savvy as you want, but if your performance is... What age is that? I want to make sure, I want to write this down. Uh, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. I not, want to be prepared. Not being a... Once uh, I hit that age, to watch not my a clinician, but I, I think, you know, we all have to be wary of these things probably when we get into our 70s uh it doesn't certainly doesn't happen to everybody but um that's just again one of the the challenges that we have to make people aware of so you're the you are um the ombuds person for Carrie. so and and what is exactly an ombuds because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and a lot of different things in different organizations that's right so so you you're in charge of the ombuds pro, ombudsman program what does that mean i i'm actually one of uh four or we have five ombudsmen really including someone who's a volunteer coordinator and our our coordinator the person who's in charge of the program is actually Lori Walsh 
I'm uh, I'm just a foot soldier. But um, an ombudsman literally means citizen advocate, and lots of organizations, as you refer to, have ombudsmen. You know, newspapers have ombudsmen. Um, and basically, and in a lot of those situations, the ombudsman is kind of a mediator. But the ombudsman in long-term care uh, is really an advocate. We're, we're not, quote-unquote, neutral. It's our job um, to really be resident-focused um, and resident-directed, meaning, you know, we're going to act only if the, uh, the, the individual, the resident or the, the consumer – uh, is the one guiding our actions. So a family member can call and alert us to a problem. If we go out and talk to that consumer and they don't think that's a problem or it's a different problem, we're going to respond to what they're telling us and only in the way that they want us to respond. So the, the ombudsman was created uh, in the Older Americans Act back in the late 70s. Um, there's a recognition, obviously, that people in institutional settings – um, you know, there can be an imbalance of power, there can be quality of care issues, and that there needed to be a kind of grassroots consumer advocate in addition to a regulatory body. And we're, I think the ombudsman is, not, you know, we're very different from a regulatory body. Um, the regulators come and they are an important role and they make sure the, the, the providers are doing what the regulations say. But we handle those kind of day-to-day issues where, you know, uh, people in, in, especially in institutions, the institution wants to do things their way and the individual needs some accommodation to their routine. Um, and so they, ha- and they have a right to that. And so we try to help them and we have to remind the providers at times, you know, that people don't always all have to get their bath at the same time. This person, when they lived in their home in the community, took their bath at night and we're gonna urge you, uh, to, to accommodate that person's needs, even if it messes up your schedule or your routine. Um, We're speaking with Mark Davis, long-term care ombudsperson for CARI, the Center for Advocacy for the Rights and Interests of the Elderly. We're on uh, Boomer Generation Radio here on www.dbam.com, uh, streaming live on am.com and www.dbam860. We'll be right back with Mr. Davis to follow up on this process of of advocacy uh, through Cary here in the greater Philadelphia area. We'll do that right after this message from Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back here to our first segment here today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, uh, WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia, and again, streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And a reminder that the podcast for these shows uh, are archived. This one will be up sometime this week. Uh, all the Boomer Generation radio shows are archived on my website, www.jewishsacredaging.com. You can go back and listen to a whole variety of shows, including this one again. Mark, um, so somebody, a family member living in Shady Acres assisted living facility, they visit their mom or dad and they sense that there's something not right. 
they can call you at Cary and you'll investigate? Correct. Um, anybody can call the ombudsman. Uh, we get calls from family members. We get calls from the consumers themselves, from, from staff members at times, from, you know, clergy volunteers who might be in a facility. Anybody can call. Um, anybody who wants to call and not give their name, that's fine. We're still going to investigate. Um, we understand that people in certain cases want to be anonymous. So the first thing we're going to do, um, if, if it's possible, we have to find out because we, of course, run into the situation where the seniors may not be able to communicate, and that's always a challenge. But to the degree that they can, the first thing we're going to do is talk to that consumer and find out if they have a problem, what's the issue as they understand it, you know, what do they want us to do about it. Um, and, you know, we kind of take it from there. I mean, the, one of the great things, I think, about being not sort of being a regulatory body is we have a lot of creativity to craft different solutions to problems, um, you know, because it's based on the satisfaction of the consumer and whether they are happy with the outcome. Um, you know, it's not a black or white thing. I mean, there are certain situations, um, and we've been dealing a lot with this lately, where uh, nursing homes in particular have uh, attempted to ch- discharge people from facilities because their source of payment changes from Medicare, which is, you know, a fairly good reimbursement level, to either, well, private pay, you're all good, <laughs> but not too many people stay private pay for long. And nursing homes, because of the finances involved, you know, uh, they're not evil. Um, they try to limit the number of people on Medicaid. Um, and so people are often told they have to leave. That's just a flat-out black-and-white that's not, that's against the rules. And, you know, situations like that and other kinds of, you know, if illegal discharge, that's kind of black or white. And we can help people with appeals and that kind of stuff. But do you have, you go in and you investigate mm-hmm. and you find out that there is some validity to this complaint. Mm-hmm. But you don't have any uh, punitive powers. Carrie doesn't have any punitive Correct. powers. So how do you massage the resolution to this problem with the nursing home? Okay. Well, the the foundation is th- that there are regulations. Every every you know whether it's you know you're going to the adult day center, whether you're getting care at home, whether you're getting care in assisted. There's always you know some statutory basis behind what you're doing in regulations, and in all those regulations. Uh, there's a, a, a resident rights section, and that's kind of our Bible. So we want to start there. And if we can find a resident right that's implicated by a certain problem or a certain complaint, then, you know, that gives us a little bit of a foundation to push the facility and, and point to that. And it's all interpretive. Um, and the other thing that we do is we try to have relationships outside these complaint situations. So, you know, we do a lot of visits that don't have – that are non-complaint visits. Um, we have volunteers that go out to the facilities. Um, we try to be what the state likes to call a visible presence. And I think at our best what we're able to do is form relationships with the providers that are – we're not always going to agree, but they're collegial and we can uh, – they're willing to sit down and hash things out with us. Um, and we're maybe not going to get everything the resident wants. Um, Can you, you know, give me an, an approximation of success rate? I mean, you must have had some situations where you think that there is, you discover something wrong, and the and the facility says, "No, we're not going to." 
We're not going to change it. It's not in our best interest to change it, and you know we're just not going to do it. And, and that does happen. Um, in those situations, if it rises to the level of a regulatory issue, we can either ourselves or have the the consumer ref, make a referral to the appropriate regulatory body, and sometimes they'll intervene. And when they intervene, the facilities do. Or they, so there, there the are providers options. do, you know, respond more. So there than are they, options. There are often other yeah. options. We we also have the great fortune in Philadelphia to have uh, the uh, community legal services, um, and we can. Uh, a lot of counties, you know, do not have uh, an elder law project, a disabilities and elder law project at the community legal services of Philadelphia. When we have something that we can refer to them, and we have, you know, a free attorney for our. Consumers, um, and they also sometimes will have a little more weight with a provider than than the ombudsman will. So we have a lot of resources here, um, and we we try to do the best we can in getting the person what they what they want. Sometimes what they want, you know, we have to tell them you don't have a right to that, right. or it's unreasonable. But uh, I couldn't give you an exact success rate, but I, but no, I, sure. I think we. Um, you know, more often than not, we can come up with some solution that's that's going to help people. So we talked about nursing home. Yeah. Somebody calls you up yeah. and says, look, I have ABC Home Health Care coming in five hours a day to mm-hmm. take care of my dad because I have to go to work. Mm-hmm. And really what I've noticed is I don't think he's getting the appropriate care. Things are not happening. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's getting the medication, blah, 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 blah. Will you then take that? Quote case. I mean, you investigate or, or follow up on home health care companies. Unfortunately, that is not an area that that the state has, uh, and it's it's a question as to whether we're supposed to be doing that. We know that there's not funding for that for the what they call the Medicaid waiver programs or somebody who's getting services directly from a home health or a home care agency. We can talk to people about the resources that are there. Um, the community-based programs that we do have authority over are um, older adult daily living centers, which are uh, day programs that serve people with right, what facility. are close to right. nursing home needs. Correct. And um, there's a program that Philadelphia Corporation for Aging has called Dom Care, domiciliary care, where an older adult actually lives in the home, uh, private home. Um, so those are the community-based programs. We're we're hoping. I mean, there's really, really a need as we try to get more people served in the community rather than nursing homes to fund the ombudsman to you know because as you can guess, when people are out in the community, it's logistically that's going to be a, a heavier lift, and um, there's no specific funding for us to go out to homes and and try to the deal funding's with it. an issue, isn't it? Funding's always an issue for so- social services. There's a huge need out there. Um, you know, everybody's fighting for resources, and um, you know, they, there's definitely as the need, I guess, explodes is the word. You know, for seniors and the problems they have and the services they need. Um, you know, we're always scrambling for for dollars um, to to get enough people to help people. Can, can I ask you a question because yeah. we're about to run out of time for this segment? Mm-hmm. That, and you, you obviously have to work within the governmental system and funding and agencies. Is there awareness on a governmental, legislative, statewide system that the baby boom generation, all of whom are now over 50 and the first wave of which are between 65 and 70, 70, they're, they're here. Mm-hmm. They're, I mean, they're not, it's not in the future. They're here. Mm-hmm. And 
you don't have to be a genius to figure out that the services that are going to be needed in the next 25, 30 years are going to be geometrically greater than they are now. Where's that money coming from? That's a good question. And I do believe that, that people are going to want, uh, and this generation, you know, our generation, baby boom, the ones entering baby booming, baby boomer generation now, they're going to prefer services at home. Oh, absolutely. And, oh, um, absolutely. that's going to really, change the paradigm in terms of advocacy and how services are provided um, because we are really now kind of have a, you know, an institutional model that, that dominates. Um, and so uh, I think state governments, fed, the federal government, county governments are going to have to, you know, prioritize that and, and you know, where they're going to find that money and make appropriations that provide advocacy because the, all these services and all these advocacy and regulatory infrastructure grew out of uh, around nursing homes out of really horrible situations. Right. Right. That's why the um, yeah. and if we don't want to revisit that and and have that be the catalyst and get out in front of it and not wait for disaster again to happen in the home care situation, then uh, we're going to have to be proactive about not just funding the services but funding quality control. Uh, which is kind of what I think we do. Real fast, because yeah. we're running out of time now for, on this segment. Give me the hotline number for the carry hotline and the web contact. It's 215-545-5728. That's Carrie's main number. That'll get you to any program. Um, the ombudsman is 215-545-5724, but just call and we'll, we'll get you where you need to go. And the website is www dot carry dot org and i would also say don't don't wonder if you should call just call just call we'll we'll figure it out <laughs> thank you mark davis long-term care ombudsperson for the center for advocacy for the rights and interest of the elderly here in philly called carry c-a-r-i-e again that carry hotline number is 215-545-5728 and it's www carry c-a-r-i-e dot org mark thank you very much for your time and it's lots of information and contacts and um thank you for the work that you do uh which is really very 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 important i wish you good luck uh take care of yourself drive safe back home and uh thanks for stopping by this edition of boomer generation radio i appreciate it appreciate right, Richard, it very thanks much. for having me thank you um just a couple of uh messages from some good friends here at the show uh, the Hecht Investment Group of Johnny Montgomery Scott, which we keep reminding you, uh, provides concierge financial consulting and planning services. Uh, Peter and his group use a formal investment process as their foundation, and clients receive a written plan, frequent communication, and rapid response to their inquiries. There are no needs greater than our own when it comes to personal financial planning, especially in this rather volatile financial environment. The Hecht Investment Group provides experienced guidance as well as an efficient management process that is very, very important to all of us. Additionally, Hecht and his team can assist you in connecting to Jenny's Investment Banking Department, which specializes in assisting middle market companies achieve their strategic goals. And a reminder that uh, during this year, in fact, there's one coming up, and we'll be spotlighting this in a couple of weeks, uh, Hecht Investment Group will be conducting workshops 
on uh, cybersecurity, social security, personal security, um, medicine, and how the impact of uh, medical technology on end-of-life planning. So we invite you to call Hecht Investment Group at 856-291-5028. The toll-free number is 855-289-2168. That's 855-289-2168. Ask for John Connors for more information. And the Hecht Investment Group is also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and on Facebook. And Jenny Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange FINRA and the SIPC. Also a reminder from our very good friends at Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice, um, if you or someone you love has been battling serious illness, maybe your treatments are not working well anymore or their side effects are outweighing their benefits, this is not a time to give up hope. It's really a time to call Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice for the help you need to live each day to the fullest. Samaritan's expert staff specializes in what matters most at this precious time, comfort from your pain, symptoms and anxiety, emotional and spiritual support right where you live, and dignity because you matter every single day of your life. We urge you to talk to Samaritan today because it's tough to get helpful answers if you're afraid to ask the questions. Think you can't afford this type of comprehensive care? Please do not worry. Samaritan's hospice services are fully covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and most insurances. Get the comfort, support, and dignity you deserve. Call Samaritan today at 800-229-8183. That's 800-229-8183. And a reminder that this Thursday night, the 27th, the 28th, um, this Thursday night at McCor Shalom in Cherry Hill, New Jersey at 7 p.m. Samaritan, along with a whole host of other organizations, including Jewish Sacred Aging, will be sponsoring the movie uh, based upon Atul Gawande's Being Mortal book. Admission is free. Just show up at 7 o'clock at McCor Shalom, which is at 850 East Evesham Road in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Uh, that's Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice. We'll be going right to our second segment guest, Dr. David Bernstein, who's on the line from Florida talking about a dilemma that many of us face about how to, how to take the car keys away and when it's appropriate. This is a major, major challenge for a lot of families. We'll do that right after our little musical bridge. It's a beautiful Chelsea morning with, uh, Joni Mitchell. It was a Chelsea morning and the first thing that I heard Was a song outside my window and the traffic wrote the words It came a-ringing up like Christmas bells and wrapping up like pipes and drums Oh, won't you stay, we'll put on the day and we'll wear it till the night was a Chelsea morning and the first thing that I saw was a sun to yellow curtains and a rainbow on the wall the red, green and gold to welcome you crimson crystal beads to beckon oh won't you stay we'll put on a day there's a sun show every second 
streets are paved with passers-by And pigeons fly and papers lie Waiting to go away Woke up, it was a Chelsea morning And the first thing that I knew There was milk and toast and honey And a bowl of oranges too And the sun poured in like butterscotch And stuck to all my senses Oh, won't you stay, we'll put on a date And we'll talk in present tenses When the curtain closes And the rainbow runs away I will bring you incense hours by night By candlelight, by jewel Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888 888- Welcome back to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, And again, we're coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. The email address for us is boomergenerationradio at gmail.com. And again, all the shows are podcasted on www.com. JewishSacredAging.com, and we are pleased to welcome back to uh, our show here Dr. David Bernstein, uh, board certified in both internal medicine and geriatrics on the faculty of the University Medical School of uh, University of South Florida, College of Medicine. Dr. Bernstein, how you doing? Good morning, Rabbi, and how are you today? I'm hanging in, you know. We're waiting for the rain to come here in um, Philly on primary day. How's life in Clearwater? It's a beautiful day here. We're waiting for the rain to come sometime in June. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> the four o'clock Florida uh, yeah. monsoon. Yes, know it well. Know it well. Well, give our regards to Clearwater, home of the Fightins, um, for spring training. Although I know you 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 deal some stuff with the Blue Jays in Dunedin because I, I think you live around there. I think. Correct. But uh, anyway, I, I want to thank you. Your, your new book. Uh, senior driving dilemmas, life-saving strategies. Um, you know, whenever I, whenever I go out and talk about uh, the stuff for my work, um, we on a caregiving workshop, we, we usually get to this, and I say, listen, if you're really bored, and you really really have nothing to do, and you want to put some excitement in your life, just have to start this conversation with your folks about how to take the car keys away. I guarantee you won't be bored for much longer. This is a this is a challenge for a lot of boomer families now, um, a real, real, real challenge. So you you wrote this book, this little booklet, Senior Driving Dilemmas. I guess the easiest first question is, um, Doctor, what drove you? What no pun intended? What drove <laughs> you to 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 write this? What drove me is that I've been dealing with this for the thirty years I've been in practice. 
and um, it's it's not any easier for a doctor. Maybe it's as hard because you you have a tendency to alienate your patient, and then they'll go somewhere else. Right. So you have to be very cautious about doing this, and it doesn't always turn out very well. In, in fact, um, the patients I saw just before this visit, well, my, my being on the radio with you this morning, were a visit with uh, two patients who were in my book. Oh, wow. And, and their cognitive state has deteriorated to the point that it's amazing they're living alone by themselves in a condo. And they couldn't tell me what they had for breakfast, where they had dinner last night. Uh, couldn't even tell me that their son brought them to the office today wow. in a car, and he came from New York. To, to bring them here, and he's been working with them on changing locations and, and moving to assisted living for two or three years, and the, it's just difficult. And so it's difficult for me, and, and so I gave it some thought. I listed some stories about some of my patients and, and built some structure around what it could be for boomers, because most of what I write is for baby boomers, to uh, address the subject. So this this is really a process, isn't it? I mean, the the idea that a family would say, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna take care of this right away. We're gonna go over and talk to mom or dad, and we'll just take care of this right away." That's not very successful, is it? My sense it, and from also and having lived this myself, this is you just don't start on you know just come over at ten o'clock on a Sunday morning and by eleven o'clock you know it's all done. No, that like never happens. And <laughs> the times that it does, it's like I'm going to plot. It's like, yeah. what do you mean? You decided just like that? Oh yeah, I just decided. I woke up this morning. I'm not going to drive anymore. I'm going to move to assisted living, and that's that. It, it doesn't happen that way. And um, I, I had a, a quote from a study in my book from the National Safety Council that found that um, this subject. Um, of bringing up this subject from children to parents was incredibly difficult, that it was more difficult than discussing funeral wishes or selling a family home. And 39% of the people surveyed did not feel comfortable talking about this with their parents, and 25% of them felt their parents should voluntarily give up their license, yet it was incredibly difficult to to bring up in conversation and have any success with. Yeah, well, the, as we know, the car represents not only just transportation, but there's a whole psychological impact of the car of independence and mobility. And, you know, when you add that to what may be a gradual decline in abilities associated with even normal aging, that can be spiritually, emotionally uh, devastating to some people. Uh, and what do you do with patients who, I mean, you, you're in South Florida where there is, I mean, little I know of, of the West Coast of where you are. There's not that much public transportation. There's, there's absence of public transportation. There's no real way of getting around. And um, that's an additional crux of the problem. So there's nobody who's going to bring it up. There's no options if people really wanted to voluntarily give up their license. And it means a whole turnover in, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I have to move to an assisted living facility or a facility where transportation is provided. I've never had to wait to get in my car and go to the grocery store. I can go anytime I want, and now I have to wait till Tuesdays or Thursdays at 10 o'clock where a bus is going to take me and four or five other people to the grocery store, and I be there an hour and come back that's you know, 
know, that's a loss of independence. That's a loss of freedom for, for many people. Do you find some of your – this just occurred in writing that scenario. Do you find some of your patients uh, maybe – first stage baby boomers who are reaching, you know, for a variety of reasons, will start using not only taxi cabs, but Uber or Lyft uh, if they can afford it? I mean, the wild card on a lot of this is money, but... Um. Uh, they ought to. Um, I, I don't have... I can't think of too many of those first stage baby boomers that would do that, but uh, I'm on the board of Jewish Family Services, and and I also attended a Aging Society of America conference a few weeks ago right, and March. sat in on the driving ses- sessions. And this is this is a problem throughout the country. Oh yeah, There's yeah, yeah, inaccessible transportation and the concept of getting Uber. You know, even for my Jewish Family Service organization to to work something out would be a great find. And just say you don't have to drive. Here's here's a button. You push this button, and it will give you access to to this kind of transportation. The problem is an 82-year-old lady living in South St. Pete with Parkinson's disease is not really the kind of person who's going to be that able to use a smartphone to do that. Right. And and Uber's not really set up to do anything differently. So, right. And not only not every Uber driver probably has been trained in you know working with someone in a walker or Something else like that. And I know when I go out and work with congregations setting up, as I have for God knows how many years, they're carrying community programs that eventually one of the issues comes up is transportation. And I have congregations to develop transportation programs, program for a lot of congregations to develop transportation programs, obviously for the, for programs within the congregation, a religious service, a speech, a talk, a adult education thing. Um, but generally – you know, you you have this statistic in the book that is is mind-boggling. It says by 2025, which is not that far away, drivers 65 and over will equal 25 percent of the entire driving population. That's mind-boggling. Yeah. And that's not just in South. You know, that that's all over. That's all. And we live in this. I mean, Pennsylvania. This area is one of the highest. Uh, um, Instances numbers of older adults driving as well as as as, as well as Florida, but twenty five percent of the entire United States population by in less than a decade is going to be drive over. They're going to be over sixty five years of age. Uh, that presents the society. That's a major social challenge. Um, and and how do we begin to educate? Since you've been you know you write you're speaking you're an advocate. How do we begin to educate the society that this is just overwhelming change is coming? I, th- I think it starts with addressing the issue like you do on a baby boomer level, because baby boomers are going to be a little bit more attentive to their parents and then themselves and think about what I had to do 10 years ago with my parents and how I'm going to think about this and plan for this in the future. I mean, there's, there's a lot of planning that goes into this, and I know – in listening to your program, you have retirement counselors on your program, and you address that, and addressing the concept of retiring as a driver could be and should be part of that. Yeah. I'm going to retire, I'm going to move, I'm going to save my money this way, and at age 72, I'm going to retire my car, or at age 72, I'm going to transition over to using Uber more, or at 72 or 75, I'm going to move into a retirement community where that transportation will be provided, and that's part of my plan. 
I don't think this older generation did any planning. And I know I spoke to a few people in the last few weeks that grew up on farms or rural areas where there's a real problem, right. and they were driving a tractor when they were five or six years old. It boggles the mind. They, they had somebody working the steps, but you know they would the children would be put on a, a plow so that family members could do the rest of the work around them, and right. they were an integral part of what was going on on the farm. So that they were driving at a young age, and they were driving within their small community on community roads. How do you take a car away from that person? I've been driving since I was five or ten years old. That's it's a challenge. Yeah, you also say this in, in the book uh, that that people outlive. And I need you to comment on this. Outlive the, their driving ability by ten years. What does that mean? Well, their driving ability. Well, the average life expectancy. If you're seventy, seventy-five years old, and you're healthy, you're going to live to be age eighty-six or more. And your driving ability starts really dropping at age 75. Fatal crashes increases. There's a decline in vision, cognitive ability, and physical changes that occur. So one's ability is not the same. When the driving, the rate of accidents of a 75-year-old is equivalent to that of a 16-year-old. And we know when we start giving cars to our 16-year-olds and they start, they start driving, uh, their accident ratio is really quite high. So then you're going up from there. And, and you, you also mentioned the, the, the steps. And this goes to the planning thing, uh, I, I would imagine. But you also outlined a variety of different steps that people, as they notice this within themselves and assuming that they acknowledge it, which is a whole other issue, um, can start taking, you know, limiting night driving, you know, dusk, you know, when the, when the, the daylight moves and changes and visibility may be uh, changing. Just talk a little bit about some of those tips. Well, there are things that I've picked up in in my research that people do as they age, and I've incorporated those are the protective factors so that um, older adults do have a higher tendency to use seatbelts. They do, when they're realizing this is a problem, have a tendency to drive when conditions are safest, like during the daytime and when it's not raining. At least in Florida, when it doesn't rain, I don't know what they do, but they shouldn't be driving in the snow up north. Um, they don't drink and drive. Right. Uh, thank God seniors don't text and drive. That's my laugh-out-loud line. Um, and then they'll move to retirement communities, which will help. Um, the other tips that I can give people are that by exercising regularly and increasing strength and flexibility is important. You know, there was a patient I had a few years ago who barely made it into the office using a walker. He had peripheral neuropathy and couldn't feel his feet. And he got up from his chair and I said, um, who's driving you home? And he said, well, of course I am. And I and I had this moment in my brain and I went, holy Toledo, you can't be, what, he said, I said, what would happen if you had a flat tire? How would you get out of your car? How would you mobilize anything? And he had a smart Alec answer, and he said, uh, well, I have my cell phone, I'll call for help. But the thought that this man was behind a wheel just boggled my mind. Right, because um, it's, it's not, not, it also could potentially cause danger not only to himself, but it if you have to slam on his brakes stopping, you know, on, on US-19 because there's something back up, 
the reaction time may, because of that condition, may significantly hamper him and put other people in danger as well. True, and not to mention the fact that I was his physician, overlooked the fact that he was taking narcotics as well, right. and some days took a little too much. Which, which brings me to the next thing is, is consult with your uh, doctor or pharmacist about reviewing medications and prescriptions, particularly the over-the-counter ones. And uh, I'm sitting here at my desk, and, and I have a bottle of a medication I took away from one of my 90-year-olds who came in as a new patient, and it was acetophen, acetaminophen PM, right. which has diphenhydramine in it. And diphenhydramine has been gotten a lot of press recently because not only does it the, the side effects of that mimic those of Alzheimer's disease, but there's even some suggestion that it will contribute to the development of Alzheimer's disease. And this is in all the PM medications that people take, whether it's acetaminophen or Advil PM or Aleve PM, and this medicine slips into people's medicine cabinets, and they'll take it on a regular basis. So when they wake up in the morning, they're partially impaired. Right. So I think that I think that it's an unbelievably important point that you made, I mean, and I don't think it can be stressed enough that the impact of medication in so many older adults who mix medications because Dr. A said take this, but Dr. B said that, and Dr. C said that, really does obviously have to have an impact on the, the ability to function behind the wheel of a motor vehicle at, uh, at whatever speed. And even if you're going from your house to the supermarket, you know, down the street to Publix, and I know how to drive because it's only four blocks, a lot of stuff can happen in that four blocks. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. David Bernstein, author of Senior Driving Dilemmas. We're going to get back to Dr. Bernstein in a minute right after this word from our very good friends down the road here at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us and together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, uh, WWDBAM860 here in Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. We're speaking with Dr. David Bernstein, a board-certified uh, physician in, me- in internal medicine and geriatrics, also serves on uh, the faculty at the uh, University of South Florida College of Medicine. And Dr. Bernstein has just put out this book, Senior Driving Dilemmas, Living Life-Saving Strategies. Let's get to the really another important question, Dr. Bernstein. How does one get a hold of this book? Uh, my book is available on Amazon um, under my name. Oh, and my other book, uh, I've Got Some Good News and Some Bad News, Your Old Tales of a Ger- Geriatrician, is also available uh, on Amazon. And people can look me up on davidbernsteinmd.com where I have some blogs that address some of these and other geriatric subjects. So I encourage people to do all of that. So, the, again, Amazon and uh, it's called Senior Driving Dilemmas, Life-Saving Strategies. Dr. David Bernstein is B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N-M-D. 
And um, actually, Dr. Bernstein was on the show a while ago uh, dealing with that first book, I've Got Some Good News and Bad News, You're Old, Tales of a Geriatrician. And if I'm not mistaken, that show is still archived on our website, uh, jewishsacredaging.com. So if you're listening to this for the first time and you want to listen to Dr. Bernstein talk about his first book, uh, just go on the website and search him out and under the uh, Boomer Generation Radio section and those podcasts. So, Dr. Bernstein, we, we have um, – you also mentioned some resources. I want to get into the strategies before we start running out of time. But you do mention this resource that uh, that really seems to be a very, very powerful one called Physician's Guide to Assessing and Counseling Older Drivers. Is that public or is that just for physicians? Uh, no, I think that that's the one that's available through the American Medical Association. And I think anybody can have access to that. And that gives you a how-to uh, sort of like walking strategies because you have a series of these strategies um, in Chapter 6 in the back end of the book, uh, which interestingly enough starts with, uh, it says, Chapter 6, Some Scripts for Intervention, and you quote Inspector Clouseau, which I thought was really cool from Pink He's Panther. one of my favorites. Well, which says, suspect everyone, trust no one. What does that mean and how did Inspector Clouseau get into how to take the keys away from mom and dad? As a geriatrician, and, and sometimes being a geriatrician is like being a veterinarian, um, the, uh, the patients don't tell you as much as you need to know. And so I am very suspicious of people. That's how I make my living, is being a good detective. And wow. so I suspect that they have a problem. I don't necessarily trust them when it comes to telling me how good or bad drivers they are. Um, the other... Um, the other uh, fictional character I like to quote is uh, Lieutenant Columbo. Right, you have him in the book and, too. Right, and just one more question. Right, right. <laughs> you know, just pounding away at exactly what they're doing and what the mechanics of how they're getting to their car, how they're getting in their car, um, and you know where they're going. And and the couple that was here a little earlier and who were in my book, I know from their previous uh, visits that they would go to Bob Evans up on US 19 and I would ask them when they came to my office where did you have lunch and they couldn't tell me where they couldn't tell what they had for lunch they couldn't tell me how they got there what streets they took right. and uh, their children were powerless about taking the keys away and doing anything about it and um, so uh, it was very sobering to try and realize to realize that these people were on the road and I was on the road sometimes and my kids would be on the road when people like this were driving. So that was another motivation for me to uh, take this subject on. Now, I know you do the Columbo. You know, you're, instead of a white lab coat, though, do you wear a, like an old beat-up trench coat in the office? And uh, No, I don't, uh, okay. I don't do that one. <laughs> so you have a, a series of, of several scenarios in the back of the book that really are very, very interesting and, and straight to the point. Uh, those four, parent, when parents are independent and financially secure – out-of-town parents and difficult transportation alternatives, major medical conditions resulting in generalized weakness and debility, and dementia or Parkinson's disease. Is there a theme that runs through all of these? I think the theme is what we spoke about earlier, is that these are very challenging conversations. Um, when a parent has been the parent and they changed your diapers and they're not going to listen to you, 
and they are financially secure enough and make veiled threats that, you know, I will do something with your inheritance <laughs> or yeah, yeah. Um, that sort of situation, it becomes it, – it, it takes the empowerment out of the children, away from the children. And, and the children may not be as financially independent, and they may not be able to say, well, um, I'll pay for your driver. The, the parents will say, I'm not letting you pay for your driver, and I'm independent, and I'm not doing it. And I have plenty of money, and I'm not spending it on that, or, or you know, I'm buying a new Cadillac. Right. Um, it's a, it's a, a very awkward position to be in. You have this sentence in one of the scenarios when people have this conversation with a parent and they'll say, listen, I've been driving for 50, 60 years. I've never had a ticket. I've never gotten into an accident. So there. And then you what's the response to that? Your jaw drops and go, but but you can't even find your way to the grocery store. You got lost and you you were up 30 miles away from here when last week. And what do you how are you telling me this? Yes, you never got in an accident, but that's over 50 years. But in the last six months, your cognitive state has really deteriorated or you're taking medications now. And there's little insight into that, you know, as if they looked into it as if this 85-year-old man who shriveled up and aged and bent over looks in a mirror and he sees Charles Atlas. Right. Uh, he, he just doesn't have a concept of what, what's really there. And you I have this one. You have this one line there that's that's very. I think it's really important for for boomers who are dealing this with their folks, and that is, it's, quote, the past does not necessarily reflect future events. Unquote. That you know the understanding that just because you were driving, you know, for years and years with no problem doesn't necessarily, as you're saying, things have changed. You've changed. Really, you have like thirty seconds left. How? Give me a tip real fast for somebody who does this long distance, really long. I'm in Philly. My, my, my dad is in Clearwater. How do I begin to deal with it? Do we just call you and make use of the facilities? You have 15 seconds. I, I think the thing to do might be to contact a physician. And then in, in the book, book, I mentioned a program called Drive Able mm-hmm. or uh, occupational therapies and centers and hospitals have driver evaluation programs for patients with cognitive impairment and setting up an appointment and coming up to an agreement with a parent that, hey, let's agree that if you pass this test, you can continue to drive. If you don't, we're going to find an alternative method. Dr. David Bernstein, author of Senior Driving Dilemmas, Life-Saving Strategies, available on Amazon. Dr. Bernstein, as usual, great to have you with us. Thank you very much. Continued good luck and uh, success with this and hope to speak with you soon. To all of you, take care, everyone. See you next week.